Hey there, and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Standing up for something you believe in is sometimes really difficult, and if you ask Irene D'Souza, she'll be the first to confirm that. Irene has served as a pro-life activist with the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, or CCBR. She is passionate about the pro-life movement and is a long-time advocate and educator within it. This movement is certainly a tough one to be in, but Irene takes it all in stride, and in our conversation, she shares a lot of insight that she's gained from it. Congratulations on your engagement to Garrett. Thank you. I'm yeah. pretty so, excited. Yeah, so one of the things that I know that you love to talk about or you love to tell people is whenever we're in the same room together, you like to tell people of how we met or maybe more accurately, how I freaked you out. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Yeah, hilarious story. So I didn't really know her because she was in my brother's grade. And we used to do this uh, pro-life work together. We were in the same pro-life club. And Rachel comes up to me and she shows me this picture of me when I was like five years old. And Rachel's there and I'm there and I have no clue where we are. And that that was it. (laughs) And it was really, really creepy. Um, And I found out later uh, that we actually knew each other from our old parish. So I used to go to Our Lady of Mercy Church in Burnaby before I moved out to Surrey. And we used to go to the same daycare of all Mm -hmm. places. And that's how we met. But Rachel had this photo of us and I was kind of creeped out because I had no (laughs) idea where this was. I think it was in your house. Yes, I was going to say, to be fair, it was at my house. So... My mom had, a, like, she has a lot of photo albums. She had a photo I was looking through. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's Irene D'Souza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. So. I think my hair was bigger than me at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. It was a yeah. good time. So we, we've gone back quite a bit, and I love that you had alluded to the fact that we used to do pro-life work. You've always been a, a just a role model for me in terms of just pro-life activism and before we jump into all of that, if you could tell us a little bit about your personal faith journey and how God has led you to being the woman that you are today. I grew up in a pretty Catholic home. My parents are Catholic, my relatives are Catholic. Very good role models in that respect. Uh, however, I didn't really care or know about my faith. I wouldn't say care. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know more, but I didn't really uh, it was just something I did. You go to church every Sunday, you pray the rosary. Every month, um, our relatives get together and we say the rosary together, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful, something I've really come to appreciate now. But 
at the time, it was just something that, you know, it was this excuse to see all my relatives. It was this excuse to have a party, basically, for me. I didn't really have a faith life, even in high school, which is kind of shocking, I think, for people who knew me in high school because I was known as that religious girl. I was the one who was in, you know, spirit team and the pro-life club and peer counseling and all those things that kind of put you in the campus ministry role I was in the club or I was leading it. So everyone kind of knew me as that religious person. I won the religion award in grade 12. I think for me, what really pushed my faith life forward was when I went to university and I ended up going into this explorations into Catholicism class. And I started to learn all these like amazing things, Um, things like you know, Vatican II and the history of the church, I was actually pretty irritated that we didn't learn a lot of this in high school. But I just realized like, how cool my faith was and I just wanted to learn more. And I was surrounded by really good people in university. Um, I met CCO and CCO is just an amazing organization that really, I think their goal is just to renew the faith of the youth. And I think it's the spirit of St. John Paul II, where he had a lot of faith in the youth. And CCO is just there to help them thrive. And so, you know, by being surrounded by people like, for example, uh, Mana and, and Chris and other, the other missionaries there who just really helped me to really grow my faith and be proud of my faith. Um, but what challenged my faith was actually doing pro-life work because it's not easy. I don't know how you can do it without having some kind of faith background, just for strength. Mm -hmm. And also I was surrounded by a lot of people who weren't Catholic, really, really strong Christians who obviously like cared so much about pro-life work. They're really passionate about doing pro-life work and we got along really well, but also, you know, we all are from different faith backgrounds and we asked a lot of questions, which was great. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to realize that I didn't actually know much about why I did what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but God is so good. And he put me in an environment where all my roommates were these really strong Catholic women. So I mm-hmm. lived in a house with three other girls who were the strongest Catholics I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was two other Catholic girls on the internship as well who didn't live with us but would always hang out at our house. And these women just shaped me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really grown up with any really strong Catholic woman friends. Never really had Catholic girlfriends until I went to CCBR's pro-life internship. And it was just an amazing experience for me to watch them have these conversations and to learn more myself. I remember just sitting there and kind of listening and then I would go back and do study on my own um, because I wanted to have those answers. I'm kind of that person who doesn't like to not know things. Um, And so just having their support, you know, people to go back to and pray with people when, you know, I've had a really rough day and... They're totally fine to be like, hey, let's say a decade of the rosary together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had Catholic woman in my life to support me. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I did. And you know, to this day, when I have a problem, I call them, even though they are across the country in Ontario. Wow. The relationship I have with these girls is so strong. I love them to pieces. Like I'd do anything for these girls. And they really shape me to be 
the woman I am today. They've really made me rethink a lot of the things I did in my life, the a lot of the ways I acted in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was like my reconversion moment. Um, or at least the beginning of it, for sure. Growing up, I've always known you as someone who wasn't just like really religious, but also someone who is really tied and passionate about the pro-life movement. And I was wondering, when did that first come about for you? Like, what planted the seed for you to really start to care so mm-hmm. much about pro-life movement? Yeah, you know what? I've been asked this question a lot. I mean, as, as soon as you start doing mission work, um, mm-hmm. pro-life mission work, which is not an easy thing, people tend to ask, like, why? And I think I've pinpointed it to a certain moment. I mean, there was a bunch of different moments to lead me to the work that I've done mm-hmm. with CCBR, but I've always been pro-life, grew up in a pro-life home, used to go to those, you know, March, uh, yeah. March for Life Sunday, pro-life Sundays, mm-hmm. life chains, all of that, my family. I think I've been going since I was born. My family's been taking me for life chain. But I remember specifically in grade seven, uh, we're preparing for confirmation. And one of the things we had to do is we had to pick a social teaching of the church and kind of write about it and do a little bit of research. So I chose abortion just because um, it was kind of a fluke for me. And I remember being in the library and I was trying to look up some research or do some look up books. I didn't really know what I was searching for. I was there, I was 13 years old, and this guy who was about university age came up to me and he saw what I was looking at and he's like, what are you looking for? So I was telling him what I was doing. And he just said, oh, like, are you just pro-life because you're a Christian? I, he saw my crucifix. I always wear my crucifix. So I was a, a little offended by that. And I said, well, no, I, I don't think that people should have abortions because it's wrong. He's like, oh, well, you're just saying that because your mom and dad told you to think that. Oh, wow. And I said, no. And I started to debate this guy, but... I had not had any pro-life apologetics. I, all I had basically was, it's not okay to kill other people, which I mean, should be enough in and of itself, but that's all I really had. And he was bringing up all these different difficult circumstances Mm -hmm. that women find themselves in. And me being a rational human being. And 13. And 13. um, But I could see that like, yes, these are hard circumstances, but I, I knew in me that no it's still wrong and I Mm -hmm. didn't really know why I felt so strongly about it Mm. and you know for a 13 year old I think I held my ground at least I want to believe that but I remember from that day forward that I just wanted to learn everything I possibly could about the pro-life movement and I never wanted to be in that situation again Mm. where I didn't know and I think that's what really spurred me especially when I got into high school and I realized you know just how small the pro-life club was Mm -hmm. there was about nine of us at the beginning uh, when I joined and I really felt like what we were doing you know we were doing some really great things we would go to conferences we'd go to the march for life but I never really saw any lives being saved I never Mm -hmm. really felt like I was making a difference for me the pro-life movement was this evil that was there that I would fight for the rest of my life but would never change. I could never see it changing until I, in grade 12, went to a a presentation by Stephanie Gray. She's one of the founders of CCBR. She was just giving a presentation at our parish and 
Um, she's a pretty well-known speaker. She's a big role model of mine. And I didn't know who she was. My dad kind of forced me. He's like, you're pro-life. You're the leader of your club. And you're not going to go out to this pro-life topic and support your parish. And fine, dad. I mean, I have exams, but it's fine. And honestly, that presentation changed my life. I never connected her with CCBR, which is pretty funny because I'm pretty sure she said she's from CCBR. Mm-hmm. I basically thought CCBR was Stephanie Gray. Um, so I never even made that connection. But she just gave this amazing presentation. And she'll still bug me about this to this day. But I went up to her and I was like, I want to be you. Yeah. Like, I want to know how you do what you do. And that really just just spurred my passion in the pro-life movement. Wow. Now, like CCBR, or it's the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, can you tell us a little bit about the work that they do and how you got involved with them? Well, CCBR is a non-profit, non-sectarian organization. Their goal is to make abortion unthinkable. We know that, you know, laws are reflected on what society thinks. So in order to change public policy, we need to first change public opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's different arms of the pro-life movement. There's the political arm, you know, people like we need a law who advocate for working with MPs, mm-hmm. other organizations like Right Now, great organizations that work on the political side, trying to get some kind of law because Canada is the only uh, democratic country in the world that has no laws on abortion at all, which mm-hmm. is insane Mm -hmm. so there's that side then there's the pastoral side you know people like birthright Mm -hmm. who help women in crisis pregnancies Mm -hmm. people who help single uh single mothers uh, when they're in these difficult situations then there's the activists um that's where ccbr the boots on the ground people come in Mm -hmm. they're the people who work directly with the public Mm -hmm. to have those conversations on abortions who are on the ground every day, you know, showing people what is the reality of abortion. I find that a lot of people don't really know what abortion is. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a concept of it, but since 1988, there's been no laws on abortion at all, which means everyone in our generation has grown up with abortion on demand. So when they say, what is abortion? Like, they just think like, you know, yeah, I believe in it. Like, Pro-choice sounds like a really good phrase. Like, I'm pro-choice. I like choices. But, like, pro-what choice? That's what we're answering. That's what uh, organizations like CCBR and all those university campus pro-life groups, like, for me, it was UBC Lifeline, Mm -hmm. um, seek to show uh, people what is that choice that we're for. Because I think we all know that not everyone is pro-all choices, I always give the example of sexual assault. Sexual mm-hmm. assault is a choice. People can choose to sexually assault someone. It's not a choice that we should have, mm-hmm. right? So we're not pro all choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what CCBR seeks to do. It seeks to expose the reality of that choice that people are supporting. And I guess being a veteran activist and speaker, and you've just done so much work like across the country, I was wondering, and this might be difficult to pinpoint just one, but if you could think back to maybe a particularly memorable conversation that you've had with someone while you're doing activism, I was wondering if you could share. There's so many. 
so many people who've been affected by abortion. I'm sure that if you talk to anyone, they probably know someone mm-hmm. um, who's had an abortion, or maybe they're the ones who drove that person to the clinic. So we're dealing with a culture that's really wounded by the scourge of abortion. And a story that I've, I've told in when I give a presentation is I was uh, doing a, a choice chain. Um, choice chain is what uh, we call our activism. It's where you stand with signs of uh, abortion victim photography and you have comp- conversations about abortion. And something that CCBR likes to do is we really like to tie it back to human rights and embryology, you know? So if the preborn are human, which we can show through science, we can show through any embryology textbook out there, mm-hmm. then don't they deserve the same human rights that you and I do? Don't we believe that all humans get human rights? So, I mean, that's a very, very basic way of saying it. There's a bit more to it. Sure. But that's basically what we want to bring every conversation back to. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was choicing in Hamilton, and I stuck out my hand, and I said, hey, what do you think about abortion? And this lady stops, and she starts talking to me, and we had this really long conversation. It was about 45 minutes. Wow. Um, we're going back and forth, you know, we're going through human rights argument. We're going through the science of when human life begins. Mm-hmm. We're going through everything under the book. And at the end of it, she looked at me and she was like, you know, I didn't tell you this, but I'm actually pregnant right now. And I was scheduled to have an abortion uh, on Tuesday. But, you know, because of these pictures and because of this conversation, like, wow. I know I can't do this to my baby. Wow. And I was so happy. Like... You can't even describe the feeling you get mm-hmm. when you when you hear someone say that. Right. Especially doing activism, you know what abortion is. You've you've seen the videos. You've seen the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, for an activist, like that's one of the best things you can hear. We continued like doing our activism, and another lady came up to me, and we were going through almost virtually the exact same conversation. You know, going through human rights, going through when the science of life begins, and. She was like coming around and, you know, by the end of it, she was completely pro-life. I asked her, so what do you think about abortion now? And she said, you know, it's absolutely wrong. It's Mm. terrible. We shouldn't have abortions. And then she stopped and she started looking at her sign and tears started welling up in her eyes. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, yeah, I I know. It's really sad to look at. It's really Mm -hmm. heartbreaking. And she just looked at me and she was like, no, you, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Where were you yesterday when I had wow. my abortion? You're 24 hours too late. Wow. And my heart sunk. This was back in 2016. And I will never forget that woman's face. Like, yeah, where was I? Mm-hmm. Where were we for the 300 women today who are walking into abortion clinics So many women who have talked to me just look at me and say, no one told me it looked like that. No one told me what it was. I've met so many fathers. I feel like we forget that men are Mm -hmm. post-abortive too, who have come up to me and said, I had no choice. Uh, I'm a daddy's girl through and through. Anyone who knows me would know that. And I can't imagine what my father would feel like if he was helpless in doing something to save his daughter. Men are post-abortive too. Men are hurting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's women who are hurting. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who I've talked to who are just absolutely heartbroken 
because of this. And a lot of them just didn't know. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have the information. They were in a, a period of crisis. Um, Stephanie Gray once told me that the devil likes to prey on women in desolation, sure. on people in desolation. You know, whenever you talk to someone who's telling you to discern something or make a huge decision, they always say, never make decisions in desolation. Always make them in consolation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's so many women who are in difficult circumstances. I mean, no woman wakes up excited to have an abortion. No woman mm-hmm. is waking up being like, yes, today's the day. Um, mm-hmm. They're all making it because they're really difficult circumstances, which mm-hmm. we as pro-lifers can all agree with. The question is, like, as a society, is the best help we can give these women to hold their hand and walk them in to have their child killed? I don't think that we as a society, I think we can do better than that. Mm-hmm. I think that we as a society can help women and empower women mm-hmm. that their only option is abortion. That's what right. they tell me. They're like, I had no other option. So what kind of choice is that? It doesn't seem to me like it was a choice. It seems to me like they were a woman in desolation, in panic, and that was the only option given to them. And so that's what my goal is, is that we can do better. Absolutely. That's always haunted me. And I think that's why I'm such an advocate because so many people told me, you know, there's more people working full time Mm -hmm. to kill preborn children than to save preborn children Mm. and I think when I heard that that was the kicker for me that's when I started to get really involved in pro-life ministry wow well thank you for sharing like such you know those are two very different outcomes Mm -hmm. but also very powerful in their own way like very just that really shook me to the core too just like to see how um, people can be impacted and affected like that and for a lot of people, and I, I love the way that you said that because it, it really, when you put it like that, you know, women really don't have a choice. And of course, in light of recent events that happened in Alabama and just talking about the pro-choice movement and people thinking that, yeah, we need to preserve women's rights and it's you're anti-feminist if you're not. Like, what do you say to all of that? Like, all this rhetoric around if you're not pro-choice than your anti-women like or anti-feminists. Mm-hmm. It's really hard, I think, to really hear those comments. And I mean, you hear them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, no one likes to be standing there being told they're uncompassionate right. and they hate women. Mm-hmm. And I think it really boils down to, you know, is this just a woman's issue? Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I really think that this is a human's issue. It's a human rights issue. And that's where we really boil it down to the science of when human life begins. Embryologists across the board can pinpoint the exact moment that your life comes into existence, where you become a unique uh, individual, where you became Rachel, Mm -hmm. for example. You know, you're obviously not human as a sperm you're not human as an egg an egg on its own can't grow and develop into an adult human being and a sperm in a man's body on its own can't grow and develop into an adult human being Mm -hmm. but at the moment of fertilization all dna which makes you the amazing person that you are today was present Mm -hmm. and the only difference is that you were younger 
-hmm. You know, you take time to grow and develop and to mature into the, the adult you are today. But Rachel, you now was different than Rachel, you at two years old, mm -hmm. right? You're always growing and developing. So those are the only differences then is an abortion age discrimination. And so when we start to talk about that, you know, when we really boil it down to that, then it really is a human rights issue. Mm -hmm. Is it ever ethical to end the life of an innocent human being? That's the real question we're boiling it down to. So when they say, you know, you're, you're anti-feminist, you're anti-woman, mm -hmm. I don't think I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I I support things like women having equal wages and and I support a lot of things, you know, when women are mistreated. However, I don't think this is a woman's issue. I mm -hmm. think that this is a human rights issue. Women can't get pregnant on their own, mm -hmm. right? There is another party uh, factored in. So again, where are the father's voices mm -hmm. in this? I do believe that a lot of the problems not all of it, but mm -hmm. some of the problems is that there's a lot of men not taking responsibility for their actions. And I've talked to countless of women to know mm -hmm. that. They feel like they're going to be alone. And I feel like people need to be responsible for the actions that they take. Mm -hmm. um, that there's consequ consequences to all these actions that you take. Again, these are all big conversations, but is abortion the answer to these problems? No, I don't think so tying this all back again like how have you seen god like working through you through this work i can only attribute anything i've done to god and i only do it for his glory doing pro-life work it is not a glorious uh thing it is in the sense that you're doing very noble work Mm -hmm. But you're not getting much credit for it. Um, you're not doing pro-life work for popularity. I think any pro-life activist will tell you that mm -hmm. it's it's not the most popular mm -hmm. job. And I think any uh, CCBR activist will tell you that even amongst other pro-lifers, using abortion victim photography is not always well-received. And so if you're doing this, you're not doing it for glory you're not doing it for for yourself and there's so many times where you're sitting there and you're you're listening to these stories and you know I'm, I'm really honored of how open some of these people are that come and talk to me are mm -hmm. you know I've, I've listened to to women who've told me that they were sexually assaulted and they've never told anyone for years so why me why are you opening up to me why are you telling me this and it's an honor to be able to to listen to a part of their story and to be able to offer help and love in any way, shape, or form. And I think that God's working through me by recognizing the hurt mm -hmm. that these that these women are going through, that these people are going through. Um, I forget who says it. Uh, we always say that there's no plagiarism in the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. um, but some of our colleagues, we always say that truth without love is ineffective mm. you know if you're just spouting facts at someone and you're being super aggressive and you're just saying well abortion kills babies mm -hmm. like yes but if you don't say with love mm -hmm. if you don't act compassionately if you don't actually minister to the person that's right in front of you you're going to be ineffective right it's not going to work we're here to win people not arguments i'm here mm. to win your heart not just win a debate right 
But on the flip side of that, love without truth is a lie. Mm. And so I think where God has really worked into me is help me to really live out that statement, to be really loving and to listen and be compassionate, even when it's really hard, Mm -hmm. even when someone has come up to you yelling, angry, spitting sometimes, to just act with compassion, to know that you don't know where they're coming from. You know, they always say that if you throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that's been hit. And... I always try and remember that, you know, you don't know what they've gone through. Mm -hmm. And God's really helped me be patient, Mm -hmm. even when it's really hard. But on the flip side of that, he's also really helped me be courageous Mm -hmm. um, and to speak truth, to not just coddle it, Mm -hmm. to not just let it go unnoticed, to not just be silent. You know, it'd be really easy to Mm -hmm. do other types of mission work, uh, to go build wells in Africa mm-hmm. or to, you know, do any other thing that everyone can agree is is good work. It takes a lot of strength that I can only attribute to God giving mm-hmm. to me because there's no way I could do it on my own strength um, to, to do this kind of work. And uh, I haven't been a staff for a year now, mm-hmm. uh, so I stepped down from staff and I, I do it more on a volunteer basis. And, um, yeah, even then, you know, once you get a full-time job, sometimes it's really easy Mm -hmm. uh, to make excuses and to say, no, I'm busy. I've already worked eight hours today. I don't want to go out and do choice chain or no, I'm really busy. I can't do that talk for you. It's really easy to push it off and say, well, I do other things. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if we don't speak for them, no one will. Um, If not me, then who? Mm -hmm. And that's really something I've had to remind myself, especially in the last year when I'm not doing it as my full-time job. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to lie, I haven't been as consistent. And it's something I'm really working on. But it's definitely something that I know I can only attribute to to God Mm -hmm. and, and His strength. And it's only through asking for Mary's intercession, um, especially, you know, when you're in really difficult situations, um, Mm. asking for all the saints to back me up. I think that's the beauty of being Catholic is like, you have a whole host of saints just like on your side. Are you ever alone? You have a God that's bigger than any of these people that are yelling at you. Like, Mm -hmm. are you ever alone? Mm -hmm. No. Although sometimes it can feel lonely. You know, I, I'm really appreciative of just the fact that you not only have been able to really harness that, but then also you've really humbled yourself in a way to just be spirit-led, which is so beautiful. And I guess for people who want to just be more courageous in maybe it's not pro-life work, maybe it's just going out and sharing their faith, what advice do you have to offer to them? Oh, man, just do it. As cliche as that sounds, I've been doing activism for years now and I am terrified every single time Mm -hmm. which is really funny because anyone who's worked with me uh, doing activism any of my former colleagues or fellow interns Mm -hmm. would say that they think that I would actually legitimately enjoy it Mm -hmm. Um, especially you know when we we used to go out to uh, Florida CCBR takes 
uh, every year um, interns out to Florida to do activism on their campuses out in the States. And I mean, it's in February, so who wants to be in Vancouver when you can be in Florida in February? But also, it's just like a really great time. You have these, ma- it's like choice chain on steroids. You have mm-hmm. these massive displays that you can see from like miles away. They're like huge. And you're just having conversation after conversation after conversation. And honestly, there's just testimony after testimony after testimony. Like mm-hmm. when people say, I've never changed someone's mind on abortion, I'm like, well, you're obviously not implementing the right strategies because it's actually really easy to have these conversations but honestly you just need to to push through it like Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm shaking in my boots even just for me talking about Catholicism to other people on my own internship uh, who weren't Catholic and trying to answer these questions you know at the end of the day what really helped me was thinking what is what is the outcome if I don't share it? For example, when I did pro-life work, I when I weighed the pros and cons, it was all my fears and anxiety, instability because, you know, you have to fundraise your salary, right. moving away from home because, you know, I've never done that. Now I'm going across the country to live in a province I've never been in before. All these fears and doubts I put in one hand. And on the other hand, I put the lives of 300 preborn children who would die that day. Hmm. And in that respect, it was super easy. Do the same thing with your faith. Put all your fears and insecurities and doubts in one hand. And on the other hand, put someone's soul. What are the pros and cons there? Which one is, has more weight? Are all your doubts and insecurities more important than that person's soul at the end of the day? When you do that, it's a really easy decision. And I always tell people that courageous people, people who have courage, aren't people who do things because they have no fear. No. Courageous people are people who do things despite being super afraid. That's what makes someone super courageous. Mm. That's what makes people strong. And those are the people we look up to. So if you're afraid... Join the club. Um, and um, just know that at the end of the day, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And there's a God behind you. And there's a lot of other people who are also scared. And maybe you're that person that when they see you stepping out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. will inspire them to to do great things. Wow. Well said. That's like snaps and mic drop. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Irene. Spirit-led. There you go. Spirit-led. You were mentioning earlier Hope John Paul II, and of course, the term feminine genius really came from him and his letter to women. And I guess if you could sum up, what does that term feminine genius mean to you? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've never heard of it until you messaged me. (laughs) But it's beautiful. And I think that there is such beauty in femininity. And I feel like a lot of our culture is trying to downplay the femininity that we are. Equality doesn't equal sameness. And I think that every single woman has a really unique design and plan given to them by God. I mean, God has such big respect for women. He he chose a woman to to bear fruit the salvation of the world. I mean, 
He has such big plans for you. And if you're a woman out there who doesn't really know what's going on or you don't know what your plan is, just trust that he has one and just live out the day and the moment. Super big hypocrite here because I struggle with that every single day. My fiance will tell you how many times he has to remind me to to trust in God and trust in the plan and trust in the process. But I think that what he's trying to really get at, uh, St. John Paul II, is that every every woman has a unique plan Mm -hmm. and has a purpose and has unique gifts that they can share with the world. For me, it was my ability to do public speaking. Mm -hmm. For my sister, she's such a great listener. Mm -hmm. Um, Really commend the godly woman she's becoming. I look up to her every day and just am inspired and awestruck by what a godly woman she is and Mm -hmm. is becoming. And I'm just so proud of her. And I think that every woman has that potential to be the movers and shakers Mm -hmm. of the world. And there's just a really, if we all band together and just, you know, support each other, mm-hmm. you know, that, that community, um, we can do really great things in the world. And I think we just need to remember that it's not what you've done in life, but who you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. We're doing it for the greater glory of God. And once we remember that, like, man, big things are going to happen. Thank you again to Irene D'Souza for joining me on this episode of The Feminine Genius. If you want to learn more about the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform and what they do, you can find them on Facebook and on their website, endthekilling.ca. I'll include those in the show notes for this week. Please also subscribe and follow our podcast on your favourite platform of choice and follow us on social media. We're the Feminine Genius Podcast on Facebook and at FemGeniusPod on Twitter and Instagram. I'll chat with you all next week and God bless you all.